everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchuk here, your main host, as always, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Well, maybe Stephen is the main host, but regardless, we are rolling right Shots along. Shots fired early in the show. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm being truthful. Um, anyway, we are doing our 2023 season outlooks, uh, rolling right along with the Atlanta Dream. Of course, a quick reminder, if you have followed the outlooks up until this point, you'll know that we don't really do them in alphabetical order or order in which the teams have finished the previous season. It's more along the lines of which team uh, has the least amount of work to do heading into the off season or heading into the WNBA season rather. So I think we're kind of at that point, Stephen, where we have a good idea of where these teams are at, but at the same time, they still have some other things to work on as well that could change, uh, could change the outlook, could make us look stupid in a couple of weeks, but we're no strangers to that. Right. Yeah. And the dream, They've got definitely some roster spots that they'll fill out with draft picks, I think. But they're kind of, you know, mid-first round picks. The type that, you know, maybe it'll be fun to speculate who that player could be rather than, uh, you know, like the Minnesota Lynx who we're, you know, probably going to wait for to see, you know, what yeah. shakes out with the second pick. A, a little bit more of kind of a franchise-altering decision for Minnesota than it is for the Dream. But uh, let's get to the Dream. They were 14-22 and 22 in the regular season last year. That was tied for ninth in the standings. In the runnings for the playoff up until the, the very end there, they were negative 3.4 net rating. That was also tied for ninth. 11th in offense, 96.4 offensive rating. Fifth in defense, 99.8 defensive rating. So pretty promising. Uh, they did miss the playoffs for the fourth straight year, but it felt like a, a, a culture shift, you know, a big change in the direction of the Atlanta dream last year, I think with the new ownership group and bringing in Dan Pat over in the front office, bringing in Tanisha Wright as the head coach definitely felt like as opposed to the, uh, some turmoil in the previous couple of seasons, you know, a step in the right direction, I think for the, the dream as a franchise, at least. For sure. For sure. I was not lucky enough to go to a dream game this, uh, this past season, but it's something that I officially want to do right now. Cause you can just tell watching on league pass, these, those games are lit, but even if you're not, watching from the uh you know the presentation perspective you can tell you know you, you can just tell by watching the team play it's much more cohesive there they have everyone is on the same page and that does kind of sound like surface level analysis but if you compare it to 2020 and 2021 the differences are night and day for sure even you know going back to 2019 like it, it just feels like there's been life injected into this franchise yeah in a way that hasn't really been there the past few years. And you're right. Like the atmosphere just felt completely different than years past. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can get down there and, and go to a game because it seems like a really good time. Yeah. If anyone wants to fund a double down WNBA trip down to Atlanta, Georgia for a dream game, uh, we will leave our, our PayPal account. No, just joking. Um, okay. So the dream, they started off the season pretty well, Stephen. They started at four and one. How many games did they play the fever though? Yeah, they, they did pick yeah. up two two early wins against the Fever, but you know they were five and three at the end of May. Eric with the number one defense in the league, I think there was always questions. I think about how sustainable it was, but things were looking good. There was a lot of shooting luck that went into it. You could say uh, opponents only shot thirty percent from three through that first month of the season. They were putting opponents at the foul line a ton, but opponents were shooting very poorly relative to the rest of the league. In that span, their opponents, both from the foul line and from three-point line, they were, you know, 11th in shooting percentage over that first month. So I think over the course of the season, they saw probably an, an overcorrection as opponents shot 36% from three from June 1st till the end of the season. So uh, again, I think you could say that maybe their luck veered uh, a little bit too far the other way in terms of what you could usually expect. But it did feel like, you know, that number one defense was 
maybe not meant to to last the entire season and then the offensive struggles you know we'll, we'll get to it but that was pretty much there all along yeah it, it really showed that the dream while they did get that infusion of energy and infusion of culture if you want to call it that from the previous season it, they still do have some work to do and i'm really excited to hear what you have to say about uh their offseason transactions because i think this is a team that people are going to be pretty high on for 2023 I'm not sure if you share that same optimism, Stephen, but let's quick talk about the 2022 dream for a second. Um, we need to talk about a couple players in particular. You know, we don't spend too much time dwelling on the past for these team outlooks, but the one player I wanted to talk about was Ari McDonald. Their lottery pick in 2021, I feel like she improved considerably in 2022, although maybe it was just kind of the role she was forced to take halfway through the season. No, I agree with you. I mean, there was... On one hand, I would say it's almost a discredit to her to say that she took a major step forward in year two because she just was given so few opportunities in year one, strangely, with how the, the direction of that team was going, you know, by midseason, basically. Um, but what she showed was definitely a big improvement, you know, on the court, particularly as a two-point scorer. Sometimes we think players firing away at a lot of threes is a positive. It usually is a positive. Eric McDonald, you know, can become a capable three-point shooter. It felt like for her in year one, like, it was much more about her her size and her confidence being a two-point scorer that was sort of forcing her behind the line more than, you know, really aggressively taking, you know, hunting out good three-point shots. Almost 60% of her field goal attempts in her first year were threes. That number dropped below 50% as a sophomore, and she was just very, very effective getting to the rim. Like, not a ton of settling for tough mid-rangers. Uh, of course, she has a very explosive first step. Her straight-ahead line drive and, and her ability to get out and transition were definitely positive indicators in terms of her her ability to score as a, as a two-point scorer about 30 percent of her field goal attempts came at the restricted area and you know that proportion basically doubled over her rookie season when it was at 14 percent. so she finished those attempts at 57 percent uh around the rim i think that's extremely promising for a five six second year guard you know with some definitely some improved craft. I think we kind of see that if not improved dramatically to, you know, 60 plus percent, at least kind of stay consistent. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that her, some of her splits uh, were more, I guess, consistent across the line than, than I would expect. You know, she finished at the rim in the half court basically as well as she did in transition. One of the things I was wondering was, you know, did she just kind of eat in transition at the rim and, you know, maybe struggled a little bit more finishing in the half court, but that wasn't really the case. You know, she was pretty solid in, in both areas. And then her three-point shooting, 34% on catch-and-shoot threes and 34% on dribble threes. So you probably, I mean, that dribble number is about as good as, you know, you can kind of expect. Hopefully the 34% on, on catch-and-shoot numbers, that, that'll come around a little bit. But Especially um, for a player whose jump shot was a major question point heading into a rookie season. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the overall numbers and it they're not amazing, but I think there's plenty to be you know, hopeful about, right? Uh, she has a nice quick release. I don't necessarily think that she's a great movement shooter, Eric. You, you know, you'll recall that she has that little bit of a, a, a catch hop as she sort of gathers the ball for her three-point jump shot, you know, but she relocates so well. She always is moving without the ball. One of the things I thought was really, you know, outstanding for her was just her activity off the ball. You know, she never just kind of passes it up and, and stays stationary. She's a great screener, I think, for a guard and, and is, like I said, always kind of moving without the ball. I don't know. It, it was a really impressive season. You know, there's definitely some, you know, some some butts that we'll get to in terms of her overall offensive game, but very, very promising, I think, overall. To me, her skill level with the basketball and her athleticism have never been in question. 
nor have nor has her has her defense been in question. She's a player who always gets after it on both ends of the floor, and I think that's a major reason why the Dream drafted her so high when they did. You know, maybe they kind of figured that Kennedy Carter was not going to work out long term, so they kind of took Ari McDonald as a as insurance. But regardless, uh, she's just an engine out there. She's a pest on defense. She's got really, really quick hands. You think she's got a longer longer wingspan than, than people realize, right? It feels like it, man. She's just like always kind of getting fingertips on the basketball when players are trying to, you know, pass over her. You know, she, she's just always in the passing lane in, in a way that I feel like a five, six guard can sometimes have trouble with. You know, maybe that's just her like kind of explosive standstill verticality, but I don't know. It feels like her her wingspan is just everywhere defensively. She plays bigger than she is on defense, and I think that's really important for, as you said, a five foot six guard. Um, like you can be, you can be quick, and you can be strong, but at five six, I feel like there's only so much you can do on defense. But she really gets the most out of what she's got, and that's that's what really impresses me. Um, we thought she'd be a great transition player, and she is. We thought she'd be good at getting to the rim, but the finishing numbers have obviously improved, and the three point shot has improved as well. But I think the hang up here is. Can she take that next, next step and be good at what a starting point guard needs to be good at in the WNBA? Yeah, I mean, I don't categorize her as like a bad passer necessarily. I mean, she'll she'll get some assists. A lot of her assists just feel like kind of standing at the top of the key, swinging it around, you know, making good decisions above the three-point line as a sort of initiator, as a, as a perimeter playmaker. But what... I think I would like to see more of or more some more improvement in is her ability to create for others once she's gotten that really great deep paint penetration that she's so good at because she just has such an explosive first step she does she can basically get by any defender that's guarding her but once she's sort of into the teeth of the defense it it doesn't really seem like she's able to kind of create for others in the way that you just kind of hope for from you know, a really plus starting point guard, someone that's going to really be a lead initiator on an offense. And I think she can be maybe a two positional defender as well as any five, six player can, but it just kind of makes your team building a lot harder when you need to look for another primary initiator outside of your undersized point guard because of what that could mean defensively for you. You're right. I say she definitely does not excel in the drive and kick game, which is a real shame because, as you've said, she puts so much pressure on the rim. But I think it's, you know, when you're watching Ari McDonald drive to the rim, teams aren't really playing her for the pass. Uh, and when she does kick it back out, oftentimes they're like these slow looping passes that may not necessarily be accurate. And then by the time the shooter catches the ball, well, they're not going to attack the closeout because the defense is already there. It's already recovered. So when we talk about value-added passing, I think that's one thing that uh, th- that's one example of it, or an example of not value-added passing, in that it it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't bend the defense. Like yeah, they're going to play McDonald for the drive, but if she has to kick it back out, it's not really doing anything for you offensively. So definitely hope she improves on that. Yeah, the other thing is, I I really just hope she kind of gets to the point of being like a very reliable three-point shooter that's sort of, you know, she's going to make obviously fitting alongside. If she can't create in that way, if she can't be someone who is manipulating the defense with the ball in her hands, you know, making advanced reads as a playmaker, you know, she just has to improve as a three-point shooter and get to more of the 36, 37, 38% mark so she can excel a little bit more off ball and not rely so much on just attacking, you know, closeouts that might not be closing out too hard to her when she's off the ball. Sure, sure. I did want to just throw a couple numbers out there. You'll recall, Stephen, that there's that 
one stretch in the dream season uh, last year when they just had a ton of injuries and a ton of absences. And McDonald, she played off the bench for most of the season, but she started, uh, I believe it was six games during that stretch. And her numbers were very good during that stretch. As a starter, she recorded a, an even 60% true shooting and an even two assisted turnover ratio in 35 minutes a game. Compare that to as a reserve, she was 53.3% true shooting, which is still good, but uh, a 1.03 assist to turnover ratio. So she basically doubled her assist to turnover ratio. And I understand, like, I know you're going to say, well, she was playing with better players. Yeah, probably. But I do well, have well, hold to wonder. On. Can, can I interject? Like, yeah. I, I don't even know how much that argument holds up. You know, the playing alongside better players argument holds up in, in this case because all season long, like the dream reserve players had great on off numbers and their, their starters got killed all season. You know, their, their starters, when you just look at how well the team did with, you know, Ryan Howard and um, Cheyenne Parker and uh, uh, Erica Wheeler, like they're much less favorable than, than the players that, you know, came off the bench. Like that's how they were competitive was staying like, you know, beating bench units. So, uh, I think it it probably speaks more to Ari McDonald that she was able to excel alongside a group that normally was having such a hard time. Very good point, and that would I say that I would say would be an argument in favor of her, you know, being the starting point guard moving forward because you, the results. I mean, you could say like it's it's correlation, not causation, but I mean that her sister turnover ratio was basically nil as a reserve, and it doubled as a starter. Like, that's, that's significant, you know? And the true shooting is always going to be there for her, I think, because of how often she gets to the free throw line. Uh, but, you know, 60%, that's that's really good. So I guess we're still kind of waiting for her to put it together as a playmaker. But the statistics, I, I think, like, I am an Aaron McDonald fan, so I may be a little biased here in this thinking, but I'd say the numbers do bear themselves out, small sample size be damned, in that this is probably still the Dreams point guard of the future, or if not the long-term future, they're, they should at least give her a shot to be the full-time starter this season. Yeah, I agree with you. She should, you know, be starting. And she's no worse than a third guard on a very good team, I think. In fact, I think an argument could be made that she should have been starting all year last year. But I, I, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, at the time of the draft when she was taken in 2021, like, there was sort of at least a little bit of a thought that, you know, it was kind of recency biased, you know, fueled a lot by their uh, their final four run. Um, but that pick has very much been vindicated by the dream in, in the two years since then, you know, oh, she yes. might, she might be the only first round pick from that season who I think you can confidently say will still be in the league three years from now. Like she, she's established herself and yeah, she's not a perfect starting point guard, but she's a very good player and, and can definitely contribute to winning basketball, I think. All right. So the other player we need to talk about from 2022 is obviously Ryan Howard, the reigning rookie of the year. Um, a player who the dream, they got in a trade with the Washington Mystics, or they got the, the draft pick in a trade with the Washington Mystics. A lot of hype surrounding Ryan, Stephen. Maybe a little bit of an up-and-down season for her, but I'd say the Rookie of the Year honor was was well-deserved for the most part. Um, she was as advertised as a shooter. She was as advertised as a defensive player, particularly defensive playmaking, um, and as a rebounder as well from the wing position. Her offense, a little inconsistent, but... You know, what did Ryan excel at last season? What did she still have to work on? And how do you think it stacked up against the expectations? Because they were pretty high. 
Yeah, I'll give her sort of overall kind of big picture numbers. 16 points a game, uh, three assists per game. I honestly, you know, just kind of like recalling her as a playmaker would have thought that number to be higher. Um, Four and a half rebounds a game, two and a half stocks a game. 48.9% true shooting. I think that's an area we we think that maybe uh, could improve for Ryan Howard. You know, she was only in like the 27th percentile league-wide in true shooting. I think this is kind of a a meaningless stat, but I did want to throw it out there. She led the league in missed field goal attempts last year. Uh, and then just one of three players in the league last year to take over 200 two point attempts and shoot under 40% from two. So, uh, not amazing efficiency. You know, the one thing we, we love is her great three point volume, the variety of three point shots that she can get, you know, she'll, uh, she'll shoot them off the dribble. She'll obviously take spot up threes. I think that's a, you know, an incredible shot for her. I think she's already one of the best you know, catch and shoot players in the league, even if the numbers were a little bit, you know, lower than I think what we can expect as I'll get to, but she can do some, some stuff off the ball, you know, coming off screens and with her shooting movement, I think, you know, for a rookie, you know, not a lot of rookies, I think come in with this type of ability as a movement shooter, especially when you just combine everything else that, that she does with the, the ball in her hand. I thought her passing, you know, I think I'm maybe a little bit higher on her as a, as a passer than you, just kind of based on previous conversations when we talked about her. I thought she had some really good moments as a passer. Maybe it was, I guess, um, overshadowed by a lot of settling for long twos, which is a big area of improvement for her. Like a, a ton of two-point jump shots, you know, a step or two inside the line, not really sort of creating any advantage other than just being able to to shoot over a defender, I guess. And she can definitely shoot over defenders. I mean, she's what six foot one, six foot two. She's got a tremendous WNBA frame, which is one of the reasons why I think she was so highly sought after heading into the draft. But I mean, yeah, she started off really hot. You know, she shot forty two point six percent on three pointers in May, and as you noted, she really got him up there. Like she took a ton of threes, which we love, and the jump shot versatility there as well. They, they weren't just catch and shoot. Like she shot him off the dribble, she shot him off screens, which we love. But as that outside shot kind of fell back to earth throughout the course of the season, the amount of non-paint twos and, and long two-point jump shots really drove down her efficiency overall. She did get her efficiency back up there in August because she averaged over seven free throw attempts per game, which I think is a great sign, but we got to see if she keeps that up because at her size, there's no reason why this player shouldn't be just bodying people at the rim. You know, I think she's maybe not that explosive, but she definitely leverages, leverages or can leverage rather her physicality in a way that, you know, you'd expect that true shooting percentage to kind of go up as she gets more experienced. But, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how you say I'm not high in her passing because I am, I am, particularly for her position though. Um, I think it's rare that you see a player in this league at that size and at that position who can pass it like Ryan Howard can. You know, she's not going to be leading your team in assists unless something goes terribly wrong. But, you know, she's a terrific outlet passer, a, a great passer in transition which is great in itself. And you don't really see play finishers like her, or at least from the jump shot, rather, also be a good passer as well. So no, I'm, I'm high on her passing. Yeah, it, it's true. Like, she's maybe not the type of passer that can lead an offense, maybe not the type of attacker that can lead an offense, but as just sort of complementary skill sets, like those things are very, very valuable. I guess it, it's just like, you know, if you're relying on this to be the, the best offensive player on your team, then, you know, maybe... That, that's not such a great sign. Um, and the free throw shooting, you know, that's something we, we hope keeps up. We didn't really see it too much in, in Skio overseas. You know, she she basically only had 
one game in Italy where she got to the free throw line, you know, six times or, or more. So, uh, you know, that's basically getting fouled on shooting possessions three times a game. So, yeah, uh, good. yeah you, you kind of, I think overall, you know, there were some things development wise that we were kind of hoping to see from Ryan overseas that I think didn't really come around and in the WNBA 0.67 points per possession as a, a pick and roll ball handler, 40% true shooting on those possessions, just not what you kind of hope for. And, and maybe it's just, you know, that's her being overtaxed in this role as a lead initiator. Like I, I think she's an extremely scalable player. Like she'll be better the more good players she has around her, you know, which is an obvious thing to say, but I don't think it's the case for, for every player. Like some players, they're kind of middling creators with the ball in their hands, but they're not good enough off ball players to not have the ball in their hands. So obviously with her, her shooting and her defense, you know, she's just going to be a, a high level player kind of as the team grows around her. But I, I don't think we're looking at a player who can be the number one offensive player on a great offense. What would need to happen for her in order to change that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, her her passing vision and her passing capabilities, I think they're they're pretty on par for kind of what she would need to become to to be that player. Like they're not totally there yet, but there's enough uh, I guess sort of like glimpses and, and flashes in terms of what that is with her, you know, I think she's she makes high velocity passes to the other side of the court, you know, if she's on the baseline passing to the opposite corner. Um, I think she, she makes pretty good reads in the pick and roll at times. There were just plenty of passes over the course of the season that gave me confidence in that area, even if her overall assist numbers, as I was kind of saying, were maybe lower than I felt they were, you know, just watching her play. But I think what's missing is just the lack of explosiveness off the bounce, right? Like the lack of shiftiness in her handle. Like she has like a, a perfectly competent handle, but it's just not one that's going to allow her to get by defenders and maybe it's just more about shake yeah maybe it's just more about her explosiveness right like her just you know speed with the basketball in her hand than the actual dribble game she just doesn't put enough pressure on the rim as a scorer i think and that's you know basically what we've been saying about ryan howard for for three years or, or more that's that's very fair i would like to point out that she only had a turnover rate of 8.4 percent last year and for a player with a 25 percent usage that's that's really good you know, there's, okay, I get it. You can't turn it over if you're not, if, if you're just shooting it, but she can pass it too. You know, she may not be, would you consider her to be a value-added passer? If she was the second or third best passer on her team, I would say yes, but not necessarily as like a lead initiator. Okay. But she could okay, fit I, into like a great passing system really well, I think. I agree with that. And that's why I think that that turnover rate is, is a very good sign. As a rookie, you don't really see, you don't really see her coming in and going too fast with the basketball too often or making too many mistakes with the basketball that often. She does have a, a pretty good floor game already, I would say. And the other thing I wanted to point out is that her, her shooting splits, 32% on dribble jumper threes. That's not an amazing number, but I think that's a pretty encouraging one already, especially for the volume that she was taking. It's acceptable. Yeah. I mean, that number for a lot of players that we've, we have talked about and will talk about is kind of in the high twenties. So to be you know, inching close to 35%. Hopefully that continues to improve as it has, that number was 22% her junior year at Kentucky and then almost 33% her senior season. So she's kind of, you know, improving in that area big time, but then 36% on catch and shoot threes. And that is a number that I would not be surprised if it's never as low as it was this season. Like I 
fully expect her to be at least like a 38% shooter on catch and shoot attempts over the course of her career as she was, you know, basically 40% or better as, as a player in, in Kentucky on catch and shoot threes. Like she's just a dead bang shooter with a clean look. And it's a lot easier when you can, you're not worried about, you know, a closeout because you're six, two and you know, no one's going to block your shot as they're closing. Yeah. Out. Right. I wonder if she just didn't hit like a rookie wall. During yeah. The rookie season. Maybe it's just the, the quality of attempts because, you know, as we said, there's, there was not a lot of other, you know, high leverage offensive players that are creating super clean looks for her here. So I don't know, you know, I think we're maybe a little bit lower on her just as like her superstar potential, but like, you know, Ryan Howard is a very good player. She's a great player. She's going to help you win games. So let, let's move on to 2023. They they will be losing from last season. Erica Wheeler, longtime franchise staple Tiffany Hayes, uh, Christy Wallace, and Maya Caldwell. And they will be bringing in Alicia Gray, D-Rob, Ileana Rupair, as well as the uh, the number six and the number eight pick in the first round of the draft. Maybe. Yeah, we, we imagine. I wanted to start with the D-Rob trade because this was basically the first move of the offseason, Eric, and I think it looks better in hindsight. What do you think? Well, I remember my first reaction uh, when I saw that trade is, how does this help Atlanta? Maybe that question hasn't really been answered, but I think the better question would be, and this is going to seem really cynical, but how does it hurt Atlanta? Does that make sense? I, I mean, it's a low-risk move that brings in a veteran who you know what you're going to get from, and it's on one year. So how does it hurt them? Yeah, I mean, I it's think terrible. There, there's a lot of... People, uh, rightfully so, that are pretty high on Christy Wallace. But, I mean, Christy Wallace was going to be this team's third or fourth wing, right? I think. She's going to be a very low-usage player anyway. Yeah. You know, you just look at the point guard market and kind of what unfolded after this trade. Mariah Jefferson, three years, protected, 140 k average annual value. That, to me, not the long-term answer for this team, I don't think, in my opinion, respectfully. Erica Wheeler, a two-year max. I think the Dream are better off for not making that deal giving up every draft pick for the rest of time and a three-year max for Marina Mabry. I could see the logic if this team, that? <laughs> if this team talked themselves <laughs> into that. But again, I, I think Atlanta is probably better off in, in the long run for not doing that. So when you think about, you know, who D-Rob is as a player, I, you can make the case that she's worse than every player that I, I just said. Maybe, I, you know, probably, but it's closer on some than others. You know, she's on a much bigger contract than Jordan Canada on a training camp contract, but that much bigger contract expires after this season, as you were saying. And, and, you know, it's not like this team was short on cap space and, and that move hampered them to make some kind of grand free agency move. Like they got their offseason piece in Alicia Gray. You, you can't just say that like, okay, this player is better than this player. That's a bad move. You, you got to look at, with, with given that we have a hard cap in this league, you, you got to look at the long term with free agency. That's what we're doing here. Yeah, I, I, I think so. So I don't know, like, to bring in D-Rob for, for one year, it just it fits better with me for the direction of this team and, and kind of where they should be going over the next three or four years or, or two or three years than all the other free agent moves that I just kind of laid out there. And, you know, D-Rob, I think, is is a much better player than some of the other, you know, training camp level contracts. And again, it's not like this team, like, didn't have money to spend. Like, if you're, quote unquote, overpaying relative to the cap on a player for one year, like... You have to think about what their other cap space ambitions were, and I'm I'm not sure there was anything else that this prohibited them from doing, I, I don't think, to me at least. Yeah, I agree. Again, just wanted to say that we're, we we want to look at these moves in the grand scheme of things, not just player versus player. Um, you know, if, if it works out, great. 
maybe think about bringing her back on a on a vet minimum next year. If it doesn't work out, oh well, you know, just just let her walk in free agency. So, yeah, with the way free agency unfolded and all these point guards, other point guards got looking at how much money everyone else got at the position, I think Atlanta's probably feeling pretty good about what they're paying for Daniel Robinson. Let's talk about sort of the core rotation of this team. I think, you know, one of the overarching questions is just like, what what does their configuration look like? You know, I think they have two natural threes on this team in Alicia Gray and Ryan Howard. I know a lot of more quote-unquote modern thinking basketball fans are maybe thinking about playing Ryan Howard at the four and Alicia Gray at her more natural position as a three. It feels more likely that that they play Howard as a three and Gray as a two and, and one of the point guards, at least for most of the minutes. Um, hopefully that point guard is Ari McDonald, Eric, as their starter and, and not Daniel Robinson because Ari McDonald is, you know, more of a, a future-focused Good. piece, I think, and, and probably better, I think, as a, as a player as well. Well, I mean, you look at how this roster is constructed. It, it does seem like they're still missing another wing player, doesn't it? Because there's really not anything going on behind Ryan Howard. Of course, you could slide Alicia Gray back up to the three if Howard is on the bench. But, I mean, right now they've got five front court players under contract. They've really only got two wing players under contract. Like, it, it does seem like those picks in the draft should be used on wing players. But I've got some thoughts on that that I will say momentarily um all right so how much does ryan howard how much do ryan howard and alicia gray play together i mean most of the minutes yeah i would say i think they're probably going to be two of the if they're healthy two of the like overall in the league just leading minute players in in the league like i don't think because there's not much behind either player and they invested long term in gray as they should have yeah i mean i think when you consider both D Rob and Ari McDonald's, they they have a little bit of defensive positional versatility. Like they can both probably guard two positions. So when you consider playing them together a little bit more, like then you can talk about, you know, those two guards and then Gray as the the backup small forward as well. So I don't think, you know, they don't have a ton of depth. I think it's definitely an, an area of draft need, quote unquote. They also have AD Durr, who, you know, definitely had their moments. What was not sort of you know, when, when AD was traded from New York, I think things were looking a little bit more bleak about their WNBA future than they are right now. Yeah. You know, they played much better in Atlanta than I think they did in New York. So that's another option for them. Although, again, they have 100 bigs under, on roster and, and not a lot of perimeter players. But I don't know. I, I think, is there any, like, downside or clunkiness to playing Gray at the two? Or do you think there's just, like, enough positional versatility there and, and enough kind of a versatile skill set for her to fit in okay? I don't see why not. I mean, she played a fair bit of the two in her earlier years in Dallas, I think. I may be mis- misremembering that, but I don't think you lose that much. I think the bigger question is, can you play Ryan Howard anywhere besides the three? And right now that's looking like no, because, I mean, they've got three players who are basically power forwards, and that's it. Unless you consider Mo Billings a small ball five. More so, than so when you say no, it's not really to any fault of Ryan Howard. No, 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 Just no. because of how the roster is controlled. No, I would like to see them try it. I think it's an interesting proposition. But I just don't think this roster is built in a way where they're going to go to it. Because then, then you're playing Alicia Gray at the three. and uh, I mean, you'd have a lot of defensive switchability, which I think is cool. But at, at the same time, I just don't think that's going to happen. Because you, they've already... I was just going to say, like, you... If you're doing that, it means either, you know, D-Rob is on the court and then you kind of lose, you know, what you should be gaining 
by shifting Ryan Howard down to the four, which is playing with a more spaced offense. You know, obviously D Rob is, is not a three point shooter. You, you, it just kind of gives you diminishing returns. I think a little bit, it would probably just create a problem in order to solve another problem. You yeah. Know what I mean, I think so. Or it would mean that, you know, AD Durr is probably able to, to give them a lot and, uh, be a very productive player off the bench for them, which maybe, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm rooting for it. Yeah, exactly. I, cool. I, I'm not sure I would bet on it, but I also wouldn't rule it out because like, like I said, they had some promising moments in, in their brief time in Atlanta. Um, but it does seem just with the, the investment that this team made in, I shouldn't even call it an investment, but, but they did claim Ileana repair off waivers who will be joining them at some point. Like, they brought back Nia Coffey and Mo Billings, two signings that they just didn't have to make if they didn't feel like those were going to be players that they would, you know, rely on one or the other. You know, Nas Hillman played a ton down the stretch, you know, one of their leading minutes players over the the second half of the season. So I don't know. It feels like they are basically always going to play two bigs together. And, you know, they have one star big in Cheyenne Parker. I think all the other options are are pretty big question marks at this point. You know, I think you can make the case that Nia Coffey is a is a good fit next to Parker, at least offensively, because of her movement and her outside jump shooting ability. For as for as little as I still believe in it, you know, she's at least a threat to shoot it out there. I, I would say to. defensively too, because you know, Coffey and Howard together, like as a, a sort of undersized three and four, you know, they're oh, both kind make of a ton of plays on defense. There, yeah, now. they're both kind of three and a halfs, but they can both protect the rim exceedingly well for their sort of size. And Parker, I think, a player who you know, is more of an offensive star than a defensive star, we'll say, even though she had a, a great defensive season last year. It was basically her first, you know, r- respectfully. But I think Coffey and Howard can sort of provide some supplemental room protection that you might be missing otherwise. You know, now that I think about it, I'm wondering if Coffey, if we're going to see Coffey at the three at all. Because if you look at this front court rotation, I mean, there's no obvious candidate to just rack up DNPs, is there? No, it does feel like they want to get minutes for, for all of these players. I mean, I would not care for that necessarily. You know, I think Coffee kind of goes from a valuable floor spacing four, like an average to above average shooter for the four to sort of too limited of an offensive player as a three. I don't know. I would be a little bit skeptical of it, but I wouldn't be surprised based on what you just said. Uh, okay, what, so what's going on here with these with these bigs? Because you know Monique Billings is a player who has spent her entire career in Atlanta, and she resigned for just one year, which kind of surprised me because I thought she would get a better offer elsewhere, but she chose to stay in Atlanta. So what is she bringing? You know, you, you mentioned Hillman. Um, I think a pretty cool story. Most of us would agree. Nas Hillman played a ton of minutes for them down the stretch, partially due to injuries and other absences, but still, you know made a solid case for herself to stay on the team this year. So is it a choice of one or the other or, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, I guess if we assume Nia Coffey is going to start at the four, which maybe that is too, too bold of an assumption, but she was their starting four when she was healthy last year. You have to think that their third big is going to play the majority of kind of backup big minutes. And then their fourth big will probably play like, I don't know, eight to 10 minutes a game. So I I was going to, pose this as a question to you Eric but I'll just kind of state my opinion first I guess like I don't really think there's many boxes that Nas Hillman checks at this point in her career that Mo Billings doesn't check like I think Billings is a much better defensive player as as much as we were all pretty impressed with Hillman's you know rookie season campaign as a one-on-one defensive player I think Billings her ability to just cause havoc as a defensive play 
uh, playmaker, you know, really put some pressure at the point of attack, much better as a stocks player, um, you know, just brings a lot more athleticism to the position. I think that Nas Hillman does, you know, she's a great, great rebounder, you know, for years, that was kind of what was keeping her in the league was just her ability to have monster rebounding numbers. And it's not, you know, Hillman, I think, I just, I'm not sure if she gives you enough offensively to kind of make the trade-off uh, in terms of, you know, Billings. Billings had, you know, one of the starker turnover forcing numbers in the league. Like they just completely turned people over at 21% of possessions when Billings was on the court and it just completely fell off a cliff when, whenever she was off the court. So some of that may be noise. Uh, go ahead. Well, that's not something that Hillman is going to be able to do like point blank. Um, I love Nas as a player. I think, she, like I said, she's a great story and I'm really happy she got drafted to Atlanta because I'm not sure many other teams would have given her this type of role, let alone a roster spot. Um, I think Hillman, I think she is a good rebounder, but the difference is, you know, Billings is constantly pursuing the basketball outside of her rebounding area. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, and you just kind of hit on it, like Nas is a great positional rebounder and Billings is a great out-of-area rebounder. And along those same lines, Nas played good one-on-one defense against maybe paint-bound players last season, but Billings is just going to get after the basketball from basically anywhere on the court. You know, she's, like you said, she is a major factor in the Dream's uh, forcing of turnovers. And when she's off the court, there's just really nobody else on this roster who can provide that. Yeah. I mean, especially with last year, specifically with like missing Nia coffee, I think that was a big reason why they were not able to force any turnovers when Billings was on the court. Cause you just had players that, you know, it just wasn't their game. They were just different types of players than ones that were going to, you know, use athleticism to, to cause, you know, defensive disruption, you know, Nas, I think the reputation is that she can kind of give you a little bit more as a spot-up player, but, you know, is 40% on non-twos, you know, short corner, long twos, is that more valuable than Billings as like a 35% jump shooter from the elbow? I mean, I I don't really think either is like causing a ton of gravity. I think it's more valuable if you just don't take it. And not someone doesn't take as many of those. So maybe she's more valuable than Billings in that respect. I don't know. But I agree, you know, Billing or Nas... Most of her offensive game is going to be in the paint. We knew this heading into the season. Uh, is she developing that three-point shot? We've been asking that for years because she hit two in an Athletes Unlimited game the other day. So, you know, I I highly doubt it. You don't just develop a three-point shot out of nowhere unless you're Jackie Young. So I th- what- that's a good point, though, because, you know, Billings basically takes almost four, uh, you know, long twos shots out of you know, outside of eight feet per 36 minutes and Nas takes less than two. So maybe just by kind of not taking up those possessions at all, even if, you know, you kind of weigh the lack of gravity the same, the, the missed shots themselves are, are just, you're, you're weighing Hillman not using up that possession uh, favorably. It's an inefficient shot and defenses don't care about it. So why take it? I think the bigger problem, you know, regardless of who... I guess plays the the third big, you know, I would make a case for Billings. I I know Nas has a lot of supporters out there. The bigger problem to me is that alongside Cheyenne Parker, she's going to be the, you know, probably this team's in terms of minutes, their number one minutes player as a big, obviously, you know, probably fourth in the team in minutes. I would imagine after Howard Gray and McDonald, um, just because sometimes, you know, bigs can play fewer minutes. Sometimes they typically would. 
you know, besides Nia Coffey, who has her own injury concerns, has her own offensive questions, like none of these bigs seem like optimal fits next to Cheyenne Parker to me. They all are a little bit clunky, I would say. It's going to look pretty clogged in the paint. Unless you have Cheyenne Parker floating around there and taking those three-pointers, which, while she has worked on that shot, has historically just not been there. You know, are, are teams selling out to defend Cheyenne Parker behind the three-point line? I don't think so. Yeah, outside of her bubble season when she shot 47%, you remember, Eric, uh, for, for your Chicago Sky, she's a career 26% three-point shooter. So, honestly, it seems like it's, you know, you're better off if she just kind of abandons that shot. It just hasn't really come around. It's it's nice to have her take them once in a while, but she's just so good as a two-point scorer. Like, her efficiency overall would just be, you know, she 55% from two last year, 68% in the restricted area. Like, she yeah, just turned into an unstoppable offensive player around the rim. So, as much as modern basketball favors spacing bays, you know, Cheyenne Parker, I think, defies that and, and maybe should just... You wanted to stick to what she's good at a little bit more. Well, modern basketball also favors lots of shots at the rim. Yeah, points and, per possession, yeah. Yeah, and if you shoot 68% in, in the restricted area, yeah, I'm, I'm going to want you to take those shots. But I guess I think, I think guess your question is, who's complimenting her? Because otherwise, if it's not Nia Coffee, you're probably going to have not a lot of floor spacing down there. It's going to look pretty congested in the paint. And unless you have, I mean, obviously Alicia Gray is a good three-point shooter, Ryan Howard is a very good three-point shooter, and McDonald has worked on that shot as well. You almost have to kind of marry yourself to three three-point shooters at the same time as two non-three-point shooters in the paint. Otherwise, the offense is going to be, let's see, what were they last season? 11th. You know, are there any routes where this offense isn't just like about the same? Uh, we will get to that, I think. Um, of course, yeah. yeah. When, when Parker's off the court, you know, to me, it's got to be Billings and Coffee together. Uh, and I think that is particularly tough because we just said that nobody besides coffee fits next to Cheyenne Parker. So you're, I don't know, working, working some funky things, uh, kind of with your rotation, but I think Billings and coffee, like just dialing up the pressure in your backup units, keeping Ari McDonald out there in backup units as well. Like that to me is how you sort of stay competitive in those non Cheyenne minutes when offense is going to be, I think, very hard to come by just Forcing a ton of turnovers, you'll probably be undersized, but Billings and Coffee, great rebounders for their lack of size comparative to, you know, their positions and stuff like that. I, I want to see as much of that pairing when Cheyenne is off the court as possible. But again, they are keeping, they, they claimed Ileana Repair for a reason. I, I think they have high hopes in Nas Hillman, so, so maybe I'm just being a little too optimistic in kind of what, what I would hope for. Well, and, and playing that type of basketball, it also fully leans into this one thing that I, th- the one thing that I think this front court is really good at, and that's just being more athletic than their individual matchups. You almost kind of have to do that if you're the, if you're playing with this front court, because otherwise, I mean, they're small compared to most other front cards. They don't really have a stretch big unless Repair turns into one, but I mean, we don't even know if she's going to play that much. Aside from Parker, at least like, a, a big sized stretch big. Yeah, and and aside from Parker, like I don't think any of them are very good two point scorers. So if you have at least that athleticism out there, like okay, this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to leverage these advantages that our front court players have. Otherwise, I'm not really sold on this front court taking this team to the promised land. Are you? No, I don't think so. Especially in a league dominated by star front court players, you know. Every... Just, they, they have no players on that level. And that's not saying, like, Cheyenne Parker is a great player. 
I love Cheyenne Parker, but she's not on the level of Wilson or Stewart or Jones or any of these other really good players that routinely take their teams to deep playoff runs, you know? Yeah, I mean, basically, every championship contender over the last decade plus has had a top seven-ish player, like, at worst, at one of the big spots. You know, seven-ish player in the league overall, not for their position, so... Let's talk about the uh, the end of the roster here a little bit, I think. I, they can carry 12 uh, even until Ileana Repair comes over. So, like, they can come into the season with 13 players on roster. Assuming their two first-round picks make the team, that is probably one spot, uh, again, probably temporarily, until Repair is ready for Lorello Kubai, Beatrice Mom Premier, and Michaela Pivik. Um, they also have the third pick in the second round, who I think, you know, depending on who stays in school, should seriously be considered to make this roster. But do you have any preferences for the last roster spot between those three extremely exciting players I just named off? No. All right, moving <laughs> on. Right? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I think everybody around the dream was kind of, at least from a fan perspective, hoping for some more exciting uh, training camp contracts. But, you know, having two of those spots be strictly centers i think is the last thing this team needed i mean they've got two first round picks yeah uh and again you know a top four pick in in the second round as well so there's a a good chance i think that this team comes into the season with three rookies and then is waiting for you know a a 21 year old iliana repair at some point so definitely some stock in in young players here you think it's too early eric to talk about six eight and fifteen I mean, at the rate players are saying, yeah, I'm going back to school. I'm using my COVID year. I don't I don't want to talk about this until like the night of the draft, but I will humor you. Um, so we'd already, we already think Ricky A. Jackson, she already said she's going back to Tennessee. Cross her off the list. Haley Jones, not going to be there at six, I don't think. Maddie Segrist, not really a wing. Ashley Jones. But, but Eric, I mean, this is a, a team that could probably just stand to take best player available, right? I mean, we just talked about how they have a million front court players, but if you think one of these front court players in the draft is there at six, that could be a part of the next really good dream team. Like, I don't think you pass on it just for positional need, right? Are any of these players that good, though? Well, that's a different question. Yeah. Um, but maybe. <laughs> no, is it, though? Is it? So what, what I wanted to get to here is, um, so they've got both six and eight. I think there has been a lot of uh, discussion about them taking uh, Stephanie Sars out of ISU. That's Iowa State, not Illinois State, unfortunately. Um, she's not going to be playing this year because she hurt her knee uh, playing for the Cyclones, unfortunately. So she's going to be a stash, as we like to call it. Now, I think when people typically think of stashes, they think of international players who are like 18, 19 years old who aren't going to come over to the WNBA immediately anyway. So it's basically just a way of using that draft pick without totally wasting it but if i don't know what the dreams draft board looks like but if uh if there is fire at the root of all this smoke that we're seeing they like stephanie suarez a lot and they probably rank her about the same as they would a player who would play this upcoming season so if you have both the sixth and eighth picks in the draft i'm wondering if they don't use that earlier pick on suarez or another stash or upside swing or whatever you want to call it just so you, you get that player who, as you say, you think is going to be a part of the next good dream team. And then with the eighth pick, then you can kind of draft for need or whatever because, you know, if, if that player turns out, great. If not, oh, well, we still got who we really wanted anyway. You know what I'm getting at here? 
like, do you go out of your way to, to say, okay, well, we really need a wing player. We're drafting Ashley Jones at six, even though we don't like her that much. I don't think that's a great strategy when you also have number eight. Well, the other thing to consider, Eric, is that the Indiana Fever hold the seventh pick. And if we True. think who uh, the number one pick will be, you know, if a certain someone decides to come out of school this year, they're not going to use the number seven pick to draft a stash center. Uh, you One would think. So I think you would probably just pick the player you like at Are six. Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, no, we're not sure. Like, but you can, I don't know if you can take that chance. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. It's not It's not like Suarez is like a can't-miss talent or anything. I, I'm just saying um, you're, you're, you're booking on – you're betting on another team to do something you want them to do. That, that's and a great with, point. With yeah. the fever could especially – I'm sorry? Sorry, I just said could be risky. Could be risky, especially with the fever because they have done things in recent years that people were not expecting of them. I mean, I, I just think drafting for upside is better with the earlier pick because – if you hit on it, great. If not, oh well, you have depth at eight. And if you don't hit on eight, oh well, try again next year. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Uh, Bria Beal is another player who I think has gotten a lot of traction lately. I'm not sure if she's. I, I don't see how it would work out offensively. But you you say she could, she could definitely be a Tanisha Wright type of. Player. I mean I that that feels like a Tanisha Wright pick to me, it right? Definitely like, does. Just it definitely a, does. an absolute dog on defense. Someone that is just going to make the other team's life. Completely miserable. Yeah, so. miserable. And and a lot of these other players, I mean, like Maddie Williams, I think could be a reach. Leah Brown, I think would be a reach. Taylor Soul, would, I think from for, for, from Virginia Tech would be another player who I think Tanisha Wright would really enjoy. Um, Lou Lopez Senechal from UConn. I, I don't know. Like, again, at the rate that these players are declaring they're not declaring, declaring that they're not declaring and going back to school, it's really hard to get a read on this. It's really hard to get a read on it. But Atlanta does have some flexibility here. Would they uh, prefer to have a top four pick? Yeah, but it's not like they have nothing. It's not like they have no flexibility here at all. So I don't know. Maybe maybe a pick gets traded. Yeah, I also just think you know when a couple projected lottery or near lottery picks decide to go back to school. Like after that, there's just not really a lot of separation between like six and right. sixteen. So players that you know you might have penciled in as second rounders, if if it just makes sense for this team to draft you know, an Abby Myers, a Lou Lopez Seneschal, uh, because they fit the team, you know, as much as we, we like upside swings, you know, at some point you have to field a roster as well that, that can actually play together. So yeah, you need to do that first, actually, before worrying about the future. The one thing that I would want to point out is that again, Monique Billings only signed for one year. Is she going to be a part of this team long term? As did Nia Coffey. As did Nia Coffey. Okay, so you, you have both of them once again coming off the books next season. So I would not look at this and say, if like if they draft a center, if they draft Sars, if they draft draft Elizabeth Kitley, if they draft Tyana Jackson, somebody else, I would not look at this and say, oh, they don't need a center. Well, they may not need a center right now, but you're not always drafting just for the coming five months and then forgetting about it. Like this is something teams look at the future with this with this stuff too. So, uh, yeah, they're in an interesting position where they're not really adding like a quote unquote lotto talent. But they also got some room to maneuver. Maybe they track. Maybe they trade up. Maybe they they package the six and eight pick and and identify someone who they really really want at say number four and take a swing there. Uh, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. Speaking of the future of this team, uh, I think we should just hit on. You know, we're running a little long, but I think we should hit on the extensions that they signed in the offseason since our last free agency episode. They 
signed Alicia Gray to a two-year extension at 185 and 190k uh, in each of those two seasons for the 24 and the, the 2024 and 2025 seasons, and then they extended Cheyenne Parker for one additional season after this one uh, for two hundred thousand dollars for the 2024 seasons. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on the two extensions, Eric? I mean, I think the Alicia Gray one was a no-brainer because she's still young enough where she can be a part of the next good dream team whenever or whatever that may look like. Um, Cheyenne Parker got a lot of money, which I love. Um, but I think I think that one is probably a safer bet to say like, okay, the, the dream really want her to stay rather than Monique Billings or Nia Coffey. Yeah, I think, you know, it just kind of felt like, I mean, the great deal I agree with you was a home run, you know, getting her under contract now for her age, 28, 29, and 30 seasons. Like she should be an awesome fit on this team. It's not stopping you from doing anything else cap wise. You don't have to worry about, you know, something just not going well in her first season there and then, you know, not being able to keep her around. So I think kind of, like you said, a no brainer. The Cheyenne one, I, I think I'm just a little bit more mixed on, you know, she did have her best overall season of her career last year. Her overall efficiency was not quite to the levels of it was her last season in Chicago. It just kind of, you know, felt like they, and this is not a knock on, on Cheyenne really, but it just felt like kind of settling on a core that I don't think is really all that close to contention. Like I think, you know, they, they don't have so much long-term money committed to to a bunch of players in future seasons. Like they couldn't bring another star in via trade or free agency if someone just really wanted to play here. But, you know, I think when you just look at what this team needs to really vault themselves into championship contention, I think, like we were saying before, it kind of comes one in the place of a a star initiator, uh, a, a primary ball hander who can really drive efficient offense, but also a two-way star as a, a big, at least one two-way star, if not two, at the big spots. And, you know, Cheyenne, like like we said, respectfully, is just not at the level of the, the true dead-bang superstars that are really kind of driving championships from that position. And, you know, they, they went out and traded a lottery pick for Alicia Gray. They have the, the number one pick and kind of a, you know, somewhat of a, a franchise co-star, I think, in Ryan Howard. So, you know, I, I don't really think this this core is kind of what it needs to be for this to really be like a, a semifinals team, you know, a, a last four team in the WNBA playoffs type of team. Well, would you have rather they just let Cheyenne Parker walk in free agency? I mean, I don't know. I think I would at least let this season play out and, and risk having her leave. But, you know, she's also, I think, a good enough player that another team would, would probably want her. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you talked me into it a little bit, but I'm still a little mixed, I think. Okay, I mean, I, I hear you. I hear you. I just think we need to look at this from, from both angles. Should we move on to strengths and weaknesses? Let's do it. Strengths, uh, they're going to be a great defense, I think. I have a hard time imagining, you know, and the game still needs to play out. This is just on paper we're talking about. But I have a hard time imagining a ton of defenses finishing better than them. I think they're going to be, you know, maybe the second best defense in the league, possibly. They only finished fifth last year, but I think a, a lot of the defenses above them got worse. And maybe only the Liberty below them got better. And, you know, they're, they hopefully, hopefully will get better health from Billings, better health from Nia Coffey. You know, D-Rob is a, a very solid defensive player. They're bringing Alicia Gray. So I think it, it's possible we see a step forward there defensively. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, the uh, the personnel either got the same or got better for the most part, right? Like Kia Vaughn's post-defense maybe missed, but I mean, in 2023, would Kia Vaughn be playing anyway? 
I mean, I think she was still a very positive defensive player for them uh, as as their sort of second. No, I, I mean, I agree in her communication and stuff like that. Uh, they they might not miss her forty two percent true shooting um, this season, but the, you know they just have the two weak side rotators in Coffee and Howard, who I think are just awesome, awesome room protectors for for their position. Cheyenne, you know, as much as I was just talking about how maybe she's not at the level of the very best players in the league last year, she was awesome defensively last year. Like last season, I thought was her first very very good defensive season, and if she's at the same level, like uh, you know, you're just talking about a a starting lineup that basically has no below average defensive players. Yeah, that's, and it's, it's not to the point where Washington where like everyone is elite, but you don't need every single player to be an elite defensive player in order to feel the good defense, particularly if you were relying on the athleticism of your players, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's not a ton of, you know, first team, all defense players, but there are also no targets here. I think in their, in their core rotation, you know, maybe AD Durr might, turn out to be somewhat of a target defensively, but you know, how much do they really play? Um, I think they're going to force a lot of turnovers. And I think, I think, and you know, be awesome defensive rebounding. And that I think is going to fuel great transition. Like this should be one of the elite transition offenses, you know, the point of attack defense, the, the aggressiveness on defense, they just have a ton of stocks players and and high athleticism players and and chaos creators uh, and players that can really turn that into open court offense, you know, Alicia Gray, awesome transition player. Ryan Howard, like both in her own offense and as an outlet passer, as you mentioned, awesome in that regard. McDonald, McDonald, you know, the points per possession, I think, um, are not amazing last season, but you could see that certainly developing with her athleticism, her open court speed. Monique Billings is a huge positive as a transition big. Worth noting, I think that Nia Coffey has actually been lower than the 10th percentile in transition efficiency in each of the last two seasons, so not too great of a positive indicator there. But everybody else, basically, you know, besides Coffey and Cheyenne, I think should be really, really great uh, transition players for them. And as we always say, frequency of transition matters more than efficiency, unless it's, like, downright horrendous. And I think this is just going to be one of the more athletic teams in the league. Like, they, they don't really have, aside from... Nas, I think, you know, just up and down their their rotation. I mean, I guess Cheyenne is not the most athletic center, but she is, I think, in, in kind of a different way than I sort of mean in, when we're talking about Alicia Gray and Ari McDonald and, and Ryan Howard. But just, you know, top to bottom, I think this is, especially defensively, I think they can leverage it a little bit more, but overall, just a very, very athletic team. How about offensively? You know, floor speed, like they have some good three-point shooters, for sure. We talked... Plenty about Ryan Howard's three-point shooting prowess, and Alicia Gray is a good three-point shooter as well. Is the volume going to be there, though? I mean, I don't know. Like, they were fourth in the league last year in just overall shooting percentage, but they lost a lot of their kind of low volume but shot way higher than you could expect players in, you know, Tiffany Hayes and Maya Caldwell were, like, well like above they still 40%. ranked 11th in offense. Yeah, they did. They did rank 11th in offense despite, you know, being... I don't know. You know, the... The players that they're kind of keeping around are more sort of on the average side of three-point shooting, aside from Ryan Howard, I think. I mean, Alicia Gray is a great shooter and had her best season as a three-point shooter last year. And I think we both believe in Ari McDonald taking a step there. But a lot of it relies on, you know, like Nia Coffey and possibly Cheyenne Parker and, uh, you know, Ari McDonald taking that step. So I think there are just enough question marks that I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a strength, but I could see a path to where they do become a very good shooting team. They just need to field the right lineups, right? 
yeah, and players, I think, you know, have to kind of be on the, you know, there's a range of what you can expect from players, and, and I think all of them have to kind of be on the positive side of that range. Uh, weaknesses, I think, you know, there's not a ton of them. We're, we're not going to list off 10 weaknesses, but the ones that we list off, I think, are pretty big concerns for me. High-level offensive initiating in the half-court, just half-court offense. Like, as much as I believe in their transition game, like, I'm worried enough about their half-court offense that I think, you know, this this team could once again maybe be a bottom-four offense. I mean, there are enough tanking teams or, or teams that we kind of are penciling for the lottery that maybe that's not the case, but... If when they, was the last Atlanta Dream team that had a good half-court offense? They have been bottom four Ever? for uh, eight straight seasons in offense, Eric. So it's it's been a long time, like nearly a decade. They've been a bottom four offense year over year, and I just I don't see like how how that half court offense gets any better without a major leap. I think from Ryan Howard, like they just don't have anyone that's really gonna, you know, shifting the defense through dribble penetration, like getting the ball swinging and the defense rotating, like that. To me, I just see that being a, a major concern for them. I agree. I agree. How about, you know, you, you mentioned specifically the uh, specifically the half-court offensive initiating. I'll get even more specific. Anyone in the front court, an initiator? Anyone, anyone in the front court making plays for others? Or are they all play finishers? Yeah, there's not a lot of, I think, you know, you. I don't think, I didn't really think of this team as a poor passing team because, you know, they have Ryan Howard, who's, you know, an above-average passer for her position, but really, they don't have much else outside of. Do they have any other above-average passers for their? I don't. I mean, I think D Rob is okay. D Rob, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, how much is D Rob even going to be the starting point guard? You know, if you're, if we're running through good passers and the second player we name is your backup point guard, that's probably not amazing. I would say. Well, then your first player should be your your starting point guard. But I digress. So yeah, I, I mean, Cheyenne is not really a playmaker for others. Like Nia Coffee, Mo Billings, Nas Hillman. None of those players are are Definitely. great passers. Alicia Gray is. She's a really great offensive player, but she kind of more focuses on getting her own offense, and she does that very well. She's a great spot-up player. She gets to the rim and, and the free-throw line very well, but she's not, you know, diming up other players, I don't think, with all that much consistency. So, yeah, I think just overall team passing might be a, a big-time concern. Um, you know, as as gifted as Cheyenne Parker is as an offensive player, and I think she's one of the, the upper echelon offensive bigs in the league, I don't think they have one big on roster who you could call a good offensive player in the WNBA. And, you know, that's a problem if only one year bigs can, can score with any kind of uh, reliability. You I don't think. think Cheyenne Parker is a good offensive player? Outside of Cheyenne Parker, I don't oh, think. Oh, sorry, okay. sorry, sorry, sorry. If I did not make that clear. Cheyenne Parker is a great offensive player. Outside of her, uh, Coffee, Billings, Hillman, you know, maybe repair because she can just like shoot 36% from three on, you know, 70% of her attempts. But she's not really kind of like, you know, adding too much of your offense outside of spot up shooting. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's tough uh, for for the the post players here. You know, this may seem uh, like nitpicking, but I think it's worth noting. Do they have any stars? Do they have any players you consider to be flat out stars? If Ryan Howard does not take that next step, do they have a player who you could say, okay, that's going to be the best player on the court? For either team on any given night. I mean, I think Cheyenne Parker is a star offensive player. A star um, offensive player. Yeah. I, I is mean, she a good enough offensive player to she, She's a star to... in the way that Brianna Jones is a star, I think. Okay. You know, okay. She, she's she can definitely, you know, she'll have maybe six or seven regular season games where she is just the best 
player on the court, I think. Okay. Um, but maybe that's fair. I'm, I'm just looking at this team and thinking, okay, who, it's going to be up to who to ensure that they don't finish like in the bottom three of offense again. Here's what I would say. I find it unlikely that they will have the best player in their playoff series. Okay. That that's a good way of putting it. Okay. Where, where are they finishing Steven? I mean, I think I have them as like a, a tier they three be a playoff team this year. Right? Yeah. I, I very much expect them to make the playoffs. It seems like we were kind of being a little harsh on them, but I expect them to make the playoffs led by their transition offense and their awesome defense. I think they're, you know, kind of in that third tier of teams between, you know, I would pencil them in as the fifth or sixth best team in the league, probably. So there's, you know, an outside chance of hosting that first round, but I would maybe, even if they hosted, expect them to probably lose that matchup to, unless they, you know, maybe face like Dallas or something like that, um, or really get a favorable matchup or, you know, something like, like that. But I don't know. I, I think they're, yeah, in that neighborhood of, you know, like a, a two and a half net rating over the course of a full season, you know, not, not amazing, but a positive team, I would say. Just to end this on a high note for me, there are a lot of players on this roster, you know, I say, okay, there are no real stars on this roster, but at the same time, if you look at for this team, I think it's important to look at it in, uh, in steps in stepping stones. Cause after the absolute mess that was 2020 and, and 2021, obviously they needed some sort of reset. They got off to a great start last season. And then if you look at, from last season to this season, they just got better. I don't think any argument could be made that the dream got worse. And a lot of other teams around them got worse. So even if it's just a matter of, well, there are more teams that are just tanking this year, I think I think the dream are a team that they're full of players that are either young or in the primes of their career. Like there's nobody on this roster who is like, yeah, they're definitely going to be worse this season. D-Rob. Yeah, they're probably, well, maybe D-Rob, but other than her. Relative I mean, to other teams. I would say, like, there's there's at least a non-zero chance that Cheyenne Parker has a worse season than last year. You think? Okay. I'm, I mean, not saying it's likely, but you could at least kind of put her in, like, the, you know, contender to have a regression season. But Maybe because— I, I agree with your overall point. I was just— Okay, you agree yeah. with my overall point. Like, I, I don't think there's any world in which this team, unless, once again, they are ravaged by injuries, because that's another thing about last year. You know, I mean, they, they took kind of a slide in the, half, in the second half of the season— my dog is barking again, but they took kind of a slide in the second half of the season, partially because they just couldn't stay healthy. No, your Gray should be as good or or better. Howard should be as good or better. McDonald should be as good or better. Like I, I definitely like this team will be a better team than last year, even if you know we're not buying into how you know them getting to like an elite offense or anything like that. Like they were kind of a fringe playoff team that ended up missing it last year, and I think they are solidly a playoff team coming into this season. Uh, should we wrap up? Let's wrap up. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubledownWNBA. Follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And um, once again, we'll be back next week with another Team Outlook. We appreciate you all so much. Catch you all next time.